Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits, C103. And a very good morning uh, to you as we welcome you along to Thursday's edition of the programme. I have to say, listening to uh, Barry read out that young woman's uh, death notice has just knocked the stuffing out of me. I mean, there's pictures of uh, Marie Downey in all of the papers today and, you know, uh, close family friends describing her as a, a gorgeous girl. She had a heart of gold and she was very caring. And I know the, the parish priest in Kildallery, Father Eamon Kelleher yesterday, uh, spoke with the media and, you know, spoke about how close the community is and just how devastated everybody is for the Downey family and, and praying for Marie and, and her little baby and you know thinking of her husband Kieran and, and the two little boys James and Sean who are just so young to even understand what's going on it's just and her parents say you know Jim and Helen God help them they have a tough tough uh, time ahead of them and I know communities like the community in Kildallery and like the community in uh, Ballyagran where her parents live. I know they'll all rally around and they'll offer support, but God, it's just so, it's so difficult. I don't think I've ever been so touched um, and so upset by the death of someone I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I mean, I do. It was only myself and John Paul when we were talking uh, yesterday. And, you know, the names, you think, you know, Downey. God, why is the name familiar to us? And then we realised that we had spoken with Marie's sister-in-law, Ellen Downey, who is a teacher in Kildallery National School. And she had spoken to us because there was a fundraiser going on for a little boy uh, in the area. And, and, you know, and what, you know, lovely, lovely woman. And you just think, God, they're just such nice, decent people. And it's, it's just such a tragedy that has befallen them. And, and we think of each and every one of them and we'll keep them all in um, our thoughts and uh, in our prayers. Now, uh, coming up on the programme today, uh, we're going to be discussing the new city uh, by- bylaws that have been introduced. This is the ones, these are the ones that we have been talking about before. These are the ones that are going to allow for what people are calling the bin police. People, the bin police are going to be able to call to people's doors. To, if you don't put out a bin, they're going to be able to call to you and say, well, what do you do with your rubbish? You're going to have to prove how you dispose of your rubbish. I mean, the idea and the thinking behind this is let's try to work out who's doing the fly tipping. We know that some people who are just not civic minded and who really just don't give a damn and rather than pay to put out a bin, they'll take their rubbish and they'll dump it in other places and it ends up in uh, dumped in forestries. It ends up been dumped in scenic areas and anywhere where people think they can get away with it and the council do the best they can to go through the rubbish to try to work out who's disposing of it but this is one way of trying to track people down call to people's doors and say prove to me prove what you're doing now I'm not saying that everyone who doesn't put a bin out is disposing of the rubbish illegally that is not the case there are people that have 
different ways of disposing of uh, rubbish. Some people share bins, for example. Other people are particularly good at recycling. But even no matter how good you are at recycling and composting, you will ultimately end up with a small amount of waste that you have to get rid of. But you may have some other way of doing it. Once you can prove to the council what you are doing, then you're going to be uh, okay. You have nothing at all to fear. We are endeavouring to find out what is going on in Clonakilty with traffic gridlock. Yesterday, we were getting calls in about this. We had mentioned yesterday on the programme that Kent Street and the car park is going to be closed in Clonakilty from the 29th of April until the end of October and we announced that yesterday and while we were announcing that we started getting calls in from people saying look it's bad enough as it is and then yesterday afternoon now it does seem to very much tie in with end of school and children going home from school and we know the traffic increases with parents going to collect their children from school but it seemed to have been particularly bad yesterday and we're trying to get to the bottom of what exactly is the reason for the gridlock and is there anything that can be done we know there's works going on at the moment but is there anything that the contractor or indeed the council or can the Gardaí get involved is there anything that can be done just to keep the flow of traffic going because people get so frustrated when they are pinned in cars for a long period of time so we'll look at that we're going to stay on the topic of cars because there were EU proposals to put black boxes into all new cars now this would limit the speed that a car could do I was looking at trying to get a handle on what the technology that's involved in this it's such clever clever technology Technology because the technology in the black box will know what road you're on and know what speed limit you should be driving on that road. I mean, how clever is that? Uh, they, they reckon that if they could put this, if we could have these, if you could click your finger in every single car had this kind of speed limiter in it now, they reckon huge amount of lives would be saved on our roads because it is known that a lot of accidents are caused because of speed. We can do all the talking in the world that we like about learner drivers, about older drivers, about people driving under the influence of drink, about people driving under the influence of drugs. But the biggest killer on our roads is speed. We've got to get people to slow down. Is this the way to go? I welcome your thoughts on that. We have a a PhD student who is nutritionist who's joining us, who is looking for volunteers older people to take part in health screening for a nutritional study that she's doing for her PhD. We'll be putting the call out a little bit later on uh, today. Hearing the news from Coca-Cola that they are interested in opening up a dairy plant. It looks like they're diversifying into a milk based product. We'll find out more about that on the programme today and it's Thursday. So member from Garda Shikona will join us for this week's uh, Crime File and Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket uh, will join us answering all of your pet questions. You can get them in throughout the morning. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And thank you to a gentleman. There isn't a name on this sending in a text when uh, I was talking about Marie Downey and when her death notice came out and just just floored me and I got quite emotional. Um, it's just dreadful. Uh, texter says, uh, Patricia, I'm so with you. I'm a man and I don't know any of the family involved, but tears have fallen from all of us, I think, uh, to hear the death notice read out sends a fair heartache through us all, I think. 
I hope they find some comfort in that they're together. But what a funeral uh, to organise. Uh, thank you. Uh, somebody by a WhatsApp, there's, there's no name on it. Thank you. Appreciate that. 0862 103 103. No other texts and calls coming into us. Uh, morning, Patricia. I'm just wondering, uh, is there any bottle bank in the town of Bandon? Anybody in Bandon help us out with this, please? I was visiting my friend in Ballinine the other day and I bought a load of glass to dispose of in the church slash school car park. I was surprised that the bottle banks were full to the brim, two or three of them, so much so that there was broken glass around the ground. I had my two young kids with me and to be honest, I was terrified they would fall on the broken glass. It was a disgrace. Does Bandon Town not provide a public bottle bank in the town. Now I know they have a recycling centre but the recycling centre is not convenient as it's a few miles out of town plus you have to pay an entry fee. Kind regards from a West Cork listener. So can anybody tell us is there are, are there any free bottle banks in Bandon Town? If you can help us with that one, uh, let us know, please. We mentioned Clonakilty and we are going to be talking about that later on on the programme. Anne said, I heard you announce yesterday that Kent Street and the car park will be closed in uh, Clonakilty from April through to the end of October. This is absolutely shocking. Businesses are struggling to stay afloat and now this, with rent and rates and wages to pay, more businesses will go under, says uh, Anne. There is, by the way, a public information clinic going on at O'Donovan's Hotel on next Wednesday, the 3rd of April. And I certainly would be advising anyone who's in a business that feels they're going to get affected because the closure of Kent Street and the car park. It was announced yesterday, there was a press release we received from Wardenburg Construction on behalf of the OPW. They're carrying out the flood defence works in the centre of Clonakilty. And they they said in their press release, as the works incorporate a significant amount of heavy civil engineering work, particularly the installation of sheet piling. No idea what that is. It's to construct the riverside flood walls. That's now forcing the closure of Kent Street, including the car park. And it is the length of time, I think, that shocked people the most. The fact that Kent Street and the car park were closed from the 29th of April through to the 31st of October. So for the entire month, for all of May, all of June, July, August, September and all of October, it is an incredible long period of time. But they reckon the work that has to be done, they have no other choice. And that's the, that's bearing in mind we're talking later on about current gridlock in the town. That's before the closure of this street anyway. And not happy about that. Thank you for your call. Um, and the bin police that we're going to be discussing in a moment. Eddie in Mahan says, I have gone to everyone about people dumping in my area, but nothing at all has been done about it. The people that are doing the dumping are putting a bin out every week. So they're not going to come under the spotlight of these so-called bin uh, police, but they are still involved in dumping. How can those people be caught out. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now this week Cork County Council adopted a range of new bylaws governing the storage, segregation and presentation of household and commercial waste in the city. These bylaws will give powers to the so-called bin police who will be calling to homes and businesses to find out what they do with their rubbish. Welcoming the bylaws, uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor Ken O'Flynn who joins me. Good morning to you, Ken. 
Good morning, Patricia. And, and you are welcome. Why do you believe these bylaws are so badly needed? Well, Patricia, as you know, uh, in the city and in the, the county, particularly Glenmire and Ballincollig uh, and, and Blarney, we've had problems with flight tipping. Um, we've had problems with um, people dumping in estates, parks, uh, people dumping in public areas around the city. And what we've decided to do now is grasp the nettle and say, look, enough is enough. We've um, we've put up our litter notices. We've, we've tried to help people as much as we can as a city council. And... Uh, We've now come to the conclusion that we're going to have to use the carrot and the stick approach. Um, the carrot has, has definitely come first, but um, this is the stick approach. And you're talking up to a two and a half thousand euro fine for those that cannot provide evidence of how they're disposing of their household waste. Now, we are going to take into account that a number of people um, share bins with their neighbours. Some people share bins with their mothers and fathers, etc. Uh, and that will be acceptable once evidence can be provided. Other people take their rubbish uh, out to the out to the dump and dispose of it, you know. Um, and we'll have no problems with that once evidence is provided. But those that are offending on a continuous basis with fly tipping, with with public dumping, with doubling uh, dumping of rubbish on the street uh, and in our parks and in our public areas. That will not be accepted anymore. Yeah, the ones who will, will fear these, the ones who will fear these bylaws, are the ones that you're trying to catch. They are the Correct. ones who are Correct. conducting the fly tipping. Have you any? But have you any idea though on what percentage of businesses or households don't avail of curbside collection? Well, well, that's something that we're working very, very closely with uh, Country Clean and other uh, Wisers and 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 the other um, bin collection services. They'll be sending us lists. Um, we'll be investigating those that that aren't on the list. Um, we, we'll be looking. We'll be looking at that. We'll also be taking into consideration a number of complaints that we've gotten from neighbourhoods, um, and we will have our inspectors out on the street inspecting as well. The bin companies sharing the information. I don't just throw a spanner in the works. Under GDPR, are they allowed yeah, to that, do that, that? That is being allowed now. They are allowed to do it. Okay, under, under the national guidelines as well, because there is, we're bringing in these bylaws to work with the and national legislation that's been brought in as well. Okay, and the times that people put out their bins and take in their bins or covers, mm-hmm. why why is that important? Well, that's important because we've had, uh, as, as you may not have it as much in the county, but we certainly had it in the city where people are leaving bins overnight. Bins are being set on fire, bins are being destroyed. Um, people are getting into wheelie bins and being rolled down the street, being left in d- different locations. Uh, <laughs> the problems that we face in northern society, unfortunately, you know, in particular in places like College Road and, and, and that direction, Magazine Road as well, we had a lot of those incidences. But no, there, there's nothing really new beside the inspection laws where we're recapping existing laws that are there. Um, we have gone out for public consultation on this over six months. There has been um, X amount of information come back. Um, the bin laws, the traders in the city are quite happy on how, on how we're disposing, on how they're disposing of their rubbish, etc. So it has worked quite well in public consultation. Um, I will say to you that the, the bylaws that have been brought in really are to sharpen up and for us to put a little bit of teeth on the legislation to catch those that are offending, that are dumping in our in our in our um, in our residential areas, in, in the suburban areas such as Bavland, Lamire. Lani, yeah. all that area. And the, the bin police or the inspectors, are, were they, um, are they new staff or are they existing staff? Uh, we, have existi- we have existing staff but we're hoping to be taking on two new staff in the, uh, for carrying out the inspection duty. A listener wants to know, will you be checking what people put into their bins? Not everybody is recycling properly and that, well, that's, know, that's a big there, problem. There is, there, is, there, 
is a problem with recycling in this country. Um, I think it's a national issue rather than a local issue. We have, we have, we are. Uh, there is uh, talks of segregation and segregation of rubbish into environmental uh, um, household waste, etc. And we are asking people to do that. And on in the bylaws, if there is a problem, we will be checking that and we'll be coming back to people and giving them guidelines and helping them because maybe a lot of people don't know what's recyclable, what's not recyclable. Uh, and you know that that takes a bit of getting used to as well. In fairness. incentivize unfortunately yeah. i mean i was only watching the blue planet live is 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 on the, uh, bbc last night and you know here we go again we are drowning in plastics we are we destroying are. we are and destroying you know, the, the our european world union, and fairness to the european union you know for all the bad things that we say about europe and the influence that europe has you know the european union does have a plan to ban plastic throughout the european union in the next 10, 10 15 years uh, and i think that's a great sign you know um you know and ireland has been very good under the previous Fianna Fáil administration about bringing in the plastic. We were the first people to bring in um, the charges on plastic bags, etc. And that was followed on throughout Europe and it has worked quite well. Uh, I'd like to see us getting rid of plastic bags completely. Um, But there is a long-term plan and government has to work with us. As chairman of the environment section in Cork City Council, there's only so much I can do. Um, but look, these bylaws are, to, are are really to handle dumping and, and the people that are that are putting the proverbial two fingers up to Cork City and Cork County Council. Uh, Ed in Mahan says uh, that he has, there are people living in his area that he knows are dumping. He said he's gone, he's reported, nothing's ever done about it. But these people put out a bin every week, so they are not going to come under the radar of your inspectors. What else yeah. can Ed well, do? How can they well, get caught? Well, what, what does happen there is, and we have, we have several going through the courts at the moment, several, um, um, what happens, we, our inspectors go, they go through the rubbish, they, they find names and addresses. You'll be amazed how you can pin back something uh, to somebody very, very quickly. We found it recently with a receipt from, a, from inside in a pizza box, you know, and we were able to pin back via going to the pizza company. They were able to, we were able to find out who, who had ordered that, you know. Um, what a horrible there's job that those are, those people from the council, those inspectors, have to do. Absolutely, absolutely. It's heartbreaking when you hear that people are actually are actually paying for a service and are then dumping as well. That's, I know. That's, I know. that's a new one for me. I have to say. You know? And but, so you're hopeful of, of a cleaner city by these bylaws. Well, that's that's entirely the idea. A healthier, cleaner city where we're not worried about 
rubbish on in our parks and our public areas of our our children aren't being being subjected to this uh, and that we're you know we're able to enjoy Cork City and enjoy the new Cork City which is Lenmire Valley College and, and Blarney and you know have a cleaner place for all of us to live in that's all we want the we we the last time we spoke to you about rubbish was to do with um, Ellis Yard uh-huh. and and is that all now cleaned that, up and secure. The, that is cleaned up, and the secure, we had a we had a difficulty um, last uh, on Patrick's Day where we put down um, uh, our own staff of Cork City Council came in, and our staff of uh, uh, an external um, fencer came in, and uh, there was um, there was an altercation, and there was a difficulty and intimidation, and uh, in the interest of security for our staff of Cork City Council and the security of the private contractor. Um, they, we had to leave the Ellis's Yard site because there were several threats and intimidation went on there. Um, and that came from the halting site next door. I can assure you that I, I have a full fact on that. Um, we've Anyone known, call the guards? The guard, the, yes, the guards were called, but were not available to us. But maybe because it was Patrick's Day. We're now going in for a uh, court injunction um, to bring the guards onto site while the fencing is going up. That's another expense now on top of the taxpayer. But unfortunately, uh, that's the way things have gone down there. It's crazy. Um, well, it's just such a waste of money. It's such looking, a waste of money, what you could be you know, doing with that money instead. Well, look, I, I, you know, that's going to cost us the listers fee. That's another, an additional, another 3,000 euros, all that sort of stuff. You know, what I could do with that 3,000 euros inside my own constituency at the moment, uh, you know, I could have it spent, I could have spent, have it spent in the blink of an eye when it comes to footpath repairs or, or pothole repairs, etc. And Pat has been on seeing if you can check this out in Holly Hill. He was driving on uh, Faggot Hill in Blarney and as you drive up that hill you're looking over at Apple and there are new houses built near Apple but if Ken could check it out it looks like rubbish has been dumped behind the walls of those newly built houses. At the back of St. Joseph Parks we're already already on it and I believe there's a uh, we've looked for quotations for cleanup of of that as well Um, but a very very similar situation um, to the flight tipping that went down in in Ellis's yard. Uh, very, very similar. It's just, again, it's just, it's just the waste of money. It's just yeah. the complete waste of, of money. All right. All right. We wish you luck and uh, with these bylaws and hope it does uh, clean up the city, uh, Kenny. In the meantime, thank you for that. God and thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Councillor Ken O'Flynn, 1850-333-103. Mag says, before we are charged for plastic, it would be biodegradable when we got bags for life, logic or what? Before we were charged for plastic, it was biodegradable. Then we got bags for life, logic or what, uh, says uh, Mags. And John is back on. This is for the listener who wanted to know, was there bottle banks in band? And this lady was trying to dispose of bottles. She'd gone to Ballinine and the bottle bank there at the church school car park were overflowing glass all over the place. She went on to Bandon, couldn't find any bottle bank and was wondering was there one? She is aware of the recycling centre but she said it's a few miles out of town and you have to pay a an entry fee so she felt she didn't want to do that because John has just come in and said there are bottle banks at the immunity site 
just off the Clonic Kilty Road between Bandon and Gagan. It's only three euro to enter and you can bring as much recyclables there too, says John. But I think therein lies the problem. The listener didn't, you know, I don't know how much bottles. Did she just have a bag of bottles? Did she just have a box of bottles? But it was the three euro entry fee. She was looking to dispose of the bottles into a bottle bank for free without having to pay the three euro. I don't know if there's any other. I'm assuming there isn't. By John's text, if the bottle banks are available at the amenity centre just outside of Bandon, I take from that that there's no free bottle banks in Bandon. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 103 And just on littering and dumping uh, Hi Patricia the corporation I'm assuming the council sent us a pink leaflet last week and I just don't know where this WhatsApp is coming from sent us a pink leaflet last week to tell us they will be providing a skip in a housing area about a mile away from my house and we could dump four big items into it but how can somebody like me bring a bed or a door, or a sofa. Why can't they provide skips in different housing areas more often? Ah, yeah, and I know it's inconvenient for you, but if they were bringing the skip, say, right outside where you're living, then you'd have the people who are a mile away complaining, why isn't it outside their door? They're kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't at least they're providing the skip it's a really good service on behalf of the council and I hope it doesn't get abused in any way I don't know is there anyone who can help you do you have any family members do you have any neighbours who could help you out have you anyone who has a trailer you know somebody there might be someone if you ask around somebody may be able to help you out if you explain what you are trying to do and I don't know how many of those skips are turning up in different areas across the city or county I'm I'm not too sure as I say I don't know what's the one thing about text messages unless the person actually states where they're texting from I have no way of knowing Now we were getting complaints and calls in yesterday about traffic gridlock in the town of Clonakilty uh, Local Councillor Christopher O'Sullivan joins me Good morning to you Christopher Morning Patricia I'm, I'm assuming you were getting similar reports of delays or did you maybe you got caught up in the delays yourself yesterday What was going on yesterday afternoon? Yeah, I got caught up on the delays, but when when I was going through town, it wasn't quite peak times. You know, as you alluded to earlier, morning and, and school drop off time was probably uh, the worst time. But um, yeah, no, I was getting phone calls, text messages, Facebook messages being tagged on Facebook. You know, that's the modern way these days. But yeah, I was I was well aware of what's going on. First of all, I want to send out this message. I suppose to your listeners, Patricia, is that today the situation is far better. Uh, traffic is flowing much better, so Clonakilty is very much still reopen for business because, you know, we do not want people uh, avoiding the town. Um, but that said, uh, we have to face the facts and we have to face reality. Uh, and what happened yesterday was uh, was a disgrace and was an absolute shambles in terms of um, traffic management. OK, what, is uh, that? What, what, did, what did go wrong yesterday? 
So you had essentially what I would describe as a perfect storm of roadworks all happening at the same time. Um, so if you you're very familiar with Clamber, I'll go through some road names that some may not, some may not mean something to some of your listeners. Yeah. Most of your listeners will be familiar. So you have the TII are doing their re, uh, road resurfacing on the N71. That's just to the east of the town near the um, hospital junction, hospital Shan, Shan, or the Shannonvale Foods Junction, we'll call it. Um, you have the ring road closed, which we've been on your radio about before, Patricia. So, so that, um, that, that has been creating a fun lane of traffic, I suppose, down the N71. Uh, because they can't use the main ring road, people come from Ring and Dar and Barry Road. You have the Crappy Key, or what we know as the bypass. So that's the first bypass, that part of the section of the bypass that, that you come on as you're coming from the east. There was road resurfacing happening there, so there was a stop go system. That probably was the um, biggest single cause of the huge delays yesterday, because the bypass is the main thoroughfare, is the main artery through uh, through town now uh, in terms of flow of traffic. And, and who's who was doing who was doing the resurfacing of the bypass? So uh, that's that's Matt McDonald, Ward and Burke. That's the OPW. Uh, OPW, okay. That, that's part of the flood work. Yeah. Then you have in the centre of town, right in the centre, you have one of our main streets, one of our main retail and business streets, Connolly Street. That's closed until the end of May, and it has been closed for the last couple of weeks. That again is an important, I suppose, outlet for traffic, and it's important for the flow of town. So that was closed, and then um, I added to all this, and this is, I mean, I've listed four or five uh, works already. And Kent Street, so you have Kent Street Car Park that, that we'll be talking about in a minute, but Kent Street is also a very important um, street in the centre of town. That was closed due to um, trees being felled, which is another contentious point, I suppose, and something that we didn't want to see happen. But trees are being felled in order for um, sheet piling to take place along the river there on Kent Street. So you had six, seven works all scheduled to happen on uh. the exact same day, at the exact same time, and it caused absolute mayhem. And you know, months and months ago, up to 12 months ago, I, I pleaded uh, with the OPW. I also pleaded with the council. The council can't wash their hands of responsibility on this, that we would stagger these work, that we, that we would minimise the impact in town. But lo and behold, this was just waiting to happen. There was an absolute perfect storm um, and and uh, there, there was chaos. There's people in traffic for an hour or longer just to try trying to get from one end of the town to the other. I really sympathise with people. I really feel for them. Some people, you know, uh, avoided town altogether. And that is my worst, I suppose, nightmare in terms of what's happened here is that people um, are, are starting to, to talk about town as a no-go area. We cannot use that type of terminology. And that's why I kind of reaffirmed the message today that traffic is, once again, flowing freely. So town is accessible. You can come through town and you will not you will not experience the types of delays that uh, were experienced yesterday. Yeah, I know. I saw um, uh, Kenneth O'Sullivan, actually, he's on the other line, who works in the uh, Gwail uh, Skull in uh, Clannacilty. Good morning, uh, Ken, uh, Kenneth. Hello, good morning. Hi. Uh, you got, because I, I saw you put up a very lengthy Facebook post uh, yesterday. You left school at half three and this seemed to be the time of the day when it got really bad. And I'm assuming tied in with that was the fact that parents were collecting children from school so you had additional traffic in the town. Obviously that is a peak time obviously between I suppose half two until after four o'clock when between the primary and the secondary schools in the town would be um, closing down for the day. Um, So yes it took a full hour to go from the Gwail Skull here up on the Fernhill Road to the Faxbridge roundabout and Now for people people outside the area that would take normally how long? Well the Less than 10 minutes, generally speaking. And that's even with some stops at junctions to allow traffic passing and stuff like that. You'll do it easily in 10 minutes on a normal day. 
you tried to contact the local Gardaí to see if they could come out and, and, and help. Yeah, well, I, I was at one of my many stops along the way for which lasted in excess of 10 minutes in most cases. At um, Christopher will be familiar, just at the Michael Collins house there around the corner at what was Dr. Crook's house, as we know lo- locally. Uh, I was there for about 10 minutes, I suppose, and I, this was after maybe a half an hour having left the school at this stage. Um, and I, I did ring the Garda station just to know, could they send, any, would there be anyone available to go, say, to the courthouse junction, which was just ahead of me, which was a, 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 obviously one of the many pinch points, um, that they would maybe try and, I know there was a stop and go system down further at, at your heart's, uh, at heart's bar because of the bypass being surfaced and there was a one-way or a one-lane uh, system there. But, you know, even just, even at a couple of critical points around the town at these junctions, you know, for a half an hour or something at these critical times of school times and things like that. Particularly it, the, at the rush it, hour, yeah. I, I mean, we, we, have, we have CCTVs all over the town. There's monitors in the Garda station. I just couldn't understand why some proactivity couldn't be done. And I'm not critical of the Garda, you know, I'm just wondering. There was a time when, when these things were going on that people in authority and w- would make an effort to kind of help the situation or they would talk to people to... And this isn't a criticism; it's, it's a, an observation. Okay, let's like, put, let me put that to uh, Christopher. Could the Gardaí come out and help when you get situations like yesterday? Yeah, I think I think uh, Kim out makes a very fair point. Uh, there, 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 there could be um, extra hands on board, but I must say, you know, that, that Kim can also makes a very fair point, and I can't disagree with that. But I think the the contractors who tender for it. The uh, OPW, who are the the body in charge of carrying out these works, and the TI, they do need to take responsibility uh, in this as well, in terms of putting more people on the ground and doing some type of traffic management at the black spots, at the at the really bad points. They did yep. it before, but it always seems to be reactionary. Uh, you know, we had a yep. situation last summer where there was huge queues yeah. um, heading back the uh, eastern side of town, back towards Cork, where they were blocking up four courts of garages and, and businesses were suffering. And on the back of representation, they did react and they put in extra people to help uh, a flow of traffic. But it's always reactionary and they're always behind the game. And that's what's causing these, this mayhem. But yeah, absolutely, I agree. Cannot, why not have, have, yeah. uh, have, have a bigger guard? Yeah, I, and I suppose there was a time, you know, I, again, I'm not being critical. And I do support the town centre and I encourage everyone to make an effort to support the town centre because they've, they've been on their knees for not a number of months but years I'm almost at this stage since I suppose our bad flooding in 2012 and let's not forget this is what this stuff is all about uh, we don't agree with some of the, the aspects of it but it's supposed to solve our flooding problem which never lose sight of that obviously but what I would say you know in the days of the town council when you know up to five years ago if all these things were going around the town the town council would have called in each of the individual bodies and organisations and the foremen involved on the ground and stuff and trying, and the guardian, everyone involved, there would have been a, a role to play to try and have a joint meeting, discuss issues and plan things ahead and try and avoid things and if there's things can be shifted or time time skills can be shifted or whatever. And I think this is probably one of the biggest problems we have. As, as Christopher pointed out, there's two or three different bodies doing different works at different points. They're all near each other and they impact on each other. But no one seems to be communicating with each other. It's all, we, it, this is our job. We're doing this. We, we don't care about the impact. So you're saying bring, bring, bring back the town council? Well, I'm, I'm just saying, well, obviously that would be, I don't think the town council should have been abolished, but that's water under the bridge. Right. Actually, I see Labour. Labour have put it in as in, it's going to be part of their election that's manifesto. That's they want it. They want to bring back. Okay, parties, that's, great, that's, 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 that's an argument, though. That's an argument for another day. Can I just, can I just... 
I, I know I know the point you're making there needs to be very much joined up thinking and somebody needs to be almost in charge of it all. Uh, Christopher, yep. just before I let you go, we announced yesterday, and this was before we were getting the calls in about the gridlock in Clonakilty yesterday, we announced yesterday about the closure of Kent Street and the car park from the 29th of April to the 31st of October. Can you foresee that closure causing problems? Absolutely, and we've, we've foreseen this for two years now. Two years ago, um, we set up uh, a group within the chamber to try and address this and to try and come to terms towards a solution. And still, we're, we we have no alternative parking, which is incredibly, incredibly worrying. What's going to happen here is our main central town car park, Kent Street, which has 90 spaces. Kent Street itself, which has a further 14 spaces, um, will be fully um, uh, dysfunctional during our busiest uh, tourism time. And I've pleaded with the council. I had a motion in with the council as recently as last week that alternatives are put in place. The OPW um, uh, are not taking proactive steps in this. They're not helping us, they're, they're, and they're uncontactable in regards to this. So we as a council are going to have to be proactive, and we're going to be the ones that have to find the solutions here because the OPW are not helping us out here. Encouraging um, people to go to that information clinic? Exactly. On the 3rd of April, there's an yeah. information clinic, but the council are no, also, um, they, they're, they're erecting signage. Uh, they're going to erect signage and either in the town to point out the alternative parking spaces that are there, for example, in DC's car park, which is really a capacity. Um, but, you know, it, it, this is going to cause a, a huge problem. And it's a shame because, you know, our town, is, it's a fantastic town. It's a, it's a very positive, proactive town. Businesses really, um, they're, they're very vibrant within within the town, but they are suffering. This type of closure is going to... And um, particularly coming into the summer months. I've got to leave it there, gentlemen. Thank you just for that. Can I, can I just please uh, just finish on one positive note? Yeah, one go on. Story. The, the, the Ring Road, which we spoke about several times in the radio, yeah. uh, I, I, with you, that is due to open tomorrow evening. There's two audits to be carried out today and tonight. And pending the result of those audits and everything being okay, then we should see the Ring Road, which has been closed for months. My God. Reopening and the communities down there, I hope, will be will be absolutely. There'll be a, there'll so be a street a party. Story. Thanks for that, and Thank thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Councillor Christopher O'Sullivan also on the line, former Town Councillor Kenneth O'Sullivan. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Comments coming in on the situation with traffic and what happened in Clonakilty yesterday. I mean, as, the, as Councillor Christopher Sullivan said, it was just a perfect storm. All the roadworks happened to be all taking place at the same time. Claire said it's an absolute joke what is happening in Clonakilty. Yesterday was particularly bad. I ended up, this is a 20 past three, which seemed to be the height of it yesterday. I ended up turning on the road and just simply coming back out of it. It wasn't just in the afternoon. Yesterday morning at about half past ten, traffic was also crazy. Again, it was backed up everywhere throughout the town. Traffic barely moving, or if it was moving, it was at such a slow speed you'd have walked quicker. Cars were turning in the middle of the street, trying their best to go in any direction just to get out of the flow of uh, traffic and stopping them having to spend extra time in the traffic jam. It's a disaster, especially with people having to go and drop children to and from schools. Yes, I know this flood relief work has to be done, but seriously, where with all these traffic jams and road closing, uh, etc., it isn't the last we've heard of traffic chaos in Clonakilty. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Lynn says they seem to do repairs at the most stupidest of times. Bantry is the same at the minute. Road works everywhere. And when you look, there doesn't seem to be anything happening. The road seems to be still full of holes. It is an absolute joke. And Neve says on the main Doris to Bantry Road, just been resurfaced and uh, possible 
and the possibility now of 10 weeks of delays. It seems to be everywhere. And Sandy says there were delays on the N71 due to lots of stop and goes in Roscarby, again due to roadworks. And the one at New Mill near Lisavard, where no roadworks appears to be going on. Also, the road is blocked on Reiner's Screener to Baylor to Cross which roads could have used if going on the N71 to Connor. Okay, just a small sample of people's complaints about the roads yesterday, in particular the traffic gridlock in Clonakilty, where we have heard this morning traffic is flowing well, so please do not be put off going into the town of Clonakilty. Now, according to this week's Irish Farmers Journal, the global drinks giant Coca-Cola is exploring options to build a dairy processing plant here in Cork. With more on this, Lorcan Allen uh, joins me from the Irish Farmers Journal. Journal. Good morning to you, Lorcan. Uh, good morning. Uh, and you're welcome. Are Coca-Cola trying to diversify away from sugary drinks? Is that, is that what this is all about? Uh, yeah, I suppose it might sound strange to your listeners that Coca-Cola is looking to build a dairy plant, but it isn't uh, unprecedented. The company has already got into the dairy business in the US for the last number of years. Since 2014, the company actually la- launched its own milk brand in, in, in the US and in Canada. So um, it, it's it's not a brand that's brought to uh, Europe yet, but this could be, um, it could be the start of, of Coca-Cola maybe trying to launch a, a milk product here in in. Um, in in Ireland and in Europe, and I suppose it makes sense for them because um, you know we've seen in Ireland and in the UK sugar taxes put on products, and Coca Cola are obviously very exposed to that. So they're looking to diversify into healthy products, and the dairy is a, a healthy healthy market centre. Have they already had exploratory meetings here in particularly in Cork, but elsewhere? Uh, they have. Um, I've, I've heard rumblings of this for the last couple of weeks I suppose and when I um, looked into it I was actually surprised about how many meetings they've already had in Ireland Um, uh, apparently uh, executives from the US uh, in Coca-Cola have already been overturned seven or eight times um, and they're really interested in learning about the Irish dairy industry, the structure of it the family farm structure but really I suppose their main focus is on the R&D research and development capabilities within the sector and uh, it's my understanding that the executives have already visited uh, the Moorpark Dairy Research uh, Centre uh, run by Chagask and they've also visited the Dairy Processing Technology Centre at the University of Limerick just to try and get a feel for the sort of R&D work going on in the dairy sector here in Ireland. And they are and they have pumped a lot of money into a new production facility in, in Canada. For yeah, I so the so the brand that Coca-Cola built in uh, the dairy brand that, that they built in the US is called Fairlife and um, it, it's not your typical milk it's a liquid milk but it's it's uh, about 50% more protein and 30% less sugar so it's it's a, a very fortified drink that's it's a bit different uh, and they typically sell it for twice the cost of, of regular milk um, they started in the US um, it's been successful and now they've expanded into Canada last year they recently announced they're building a 75 million euro new plant to, to produce uh, Fairlife milk in Canada so um, it, it's a significant investment over there so anything maybe if they were planning to do something here in Ireland or in Cork could potentially be significant as well. And the idea then that they would bring this fair life milk brand to European customers? Yeah, now it's it's not clear exactly what products they're looking to bring, but it, it would make sense that if they were looking at dairy, their existing dairy business in the US is fair life. Um, and they have, as I said, they've yet to bring this fair life brand to European consumers. 
But if they were looking to expand into Europe, uh, they certainly seem to see Ireland as a, a potential place to set up a dairy business um, for supply of raw material, I suppose, with, it, with the intention of maybe exporting it to European consumers as well. And sure, why not? It's the best milk in the world. And, and with everything that's going on with Brexit and all the worries, uh, Lorcan, with uh, Brexit, this could be you know, a good news story for the dairy industry. I think if this was to transpire, it'd be a real vote of confidence in the Irish dairy sector in terms of the quality, the sustainability story, uh, our, our image as a, a clean, uh, you know, low-carbon producer of dairy, um, and uh, as well the added value potential of, of our sector to produce high-quality R&D products that Coca-Cola are looking for. So, yeah, if it was to transpire, it'd be a real vote of confidence. Um, and again, for farmers, if Coca-Cola were to enter, they're a new buyer of, of milk in the country and could potentially add to competition so it could only really be good for prices you'd have to imagine. Okay and people can read more about it um, in the Irish Farmers Journal which is out today. Thank you for that uh, Lorcan and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Good morning to you Lorcan Allen there from the Irish Farmers Journal. We will keep a close eye on that story. The hope that Coca-Cola would come to Ireland and in particular if they're coming to Ireland we want them to come to Cork uh, to set up an, uh, their Irish and Irish milk plant. Now some of your thoughts coming into us. Let me go back to rubbish for a moment. Eddie in, Ma- in Mallow uh, says in in every packaging, there is a barcode. Every item you buy, there's a barcode on it. Surely if they, there can be some way that the barcode can g- give you the information of where the item was purchased and then CCTV in the shop would show the person and you could link that item to the person that dumped uh, it. I, I don't know if that kind of technology is around. But then, Eddie, if I bought, if I go into a shop and I buy let's use Coca-Cola seeing as we've just mentioned them and I buy a can of Coca-Cola and I bring it home to my house and you happen to be in my house and you take the can of Coke out and then you go off and dump it somewhere and it gets linked back to me. How do I then have to prove it was you took the can out of the house? I just I just don't know and I don't know if the technology is there but yeah, let's put out any suggestion. I see your point though, any suggestion at all that we can stop and try to track down the people that are doing the flight tipping. I mean, the poor old council lads and lassies, is there another lassies as well? I mean, I really feel for anyone that has to go through a bag of stinking rotten domestic rubbish. We know how, how bad we're all trying to keep our bins clean and we know how, how rotten the bins can get. Having to go through a bag of rubbish, looking for a receipt, looking for something that will link the, per, the, the items back to the person who may have dumped it. Horrible, rotten job that has to be done and they do the very best that they can to get people before the courts and find them. But yet, yeah, that anything that could make that job a little bit easier, Eddie, yeah, if that technology can be invented, I, I certainly think it should be looked at. Jerry and Formoy says the council should be collecting the bins and not handing it over to a private company. If the council kept collecting rubbish, we would not have the situation we're in at the moment when the private companies took over. We seem to be hearing more and more about the problems than ever before and how many interviews did I carry on this programme before the privatisation of the refuge when it was taken away from the council and given to private companies? How many times did we hear from people and environmentalists and members of the public, councillors themselves who were against it and everyone said 
that's what's going to happen when we start charging people for the bins. You will just have some people. No, I absolutely accept there are probably some people out there who just can't afford the bins and, and have other priorities. But you also have other people who just, whether they can afford it or not, they just don't want to pay for the bins. They just, no matter no matter how little you would ask for, they just don't want to pay. You're always going to get people like that in society. And I'm talking about people who can well afford to pay. I'm not talking about people who can't afford uh, to pay. So that's certainly, the, I, don't, I don't know what the solution to that is. And maybe it is. Maybe we need to go back to that issue of it gets paid for out of your general taxation. Margaret says, this is an interesting one. Margaret says by WhatsApp, I was in Rwanda last month. I'd love to know what you were doing in Rwanda, Margaret. Anyway, it's a plastic-free country. I did not know this. All luggage was checked on the borders and any plastic was removed. Rubbish-free country also. It was spotless. That's Rwanda. The world could follow, says uh, Margaret. Thank you, Margaret. Emma says, Hi, Patricia. Listening to the problem of waste, I feel that the only solution is that paying for waste collection becomes compulsory. Every household has to pay. There, then it would need, there would be no need to drive around the country to dump if everybody had curbside collection. The fee then could be reduced if everybody is paying into the pot as it's simply too high at the moment, especially for single householders. And forget about pay by waste. This will only make it a larger problem. Again, when pay by weight, we were talking about introducing pay by weight. People said, yeah, bring in, bring in pay by weight all you like, but watch the amount of dumping because people will try to reduce what they put into their bin. How do they reduce what they put into their bin? They will do it by dumping and uh, fly tipping in uh, in particular. And Mary says, Patricia, will the council be checking with the farming community as to how and where they dispose of dead animals? I found two dead calves in my area over a short period of time health hazard surely well that's not something that we hear a lot about I would have thought there were a lot of rules and regulations within the farming community for the disposal of dead animals and I mean all animals unless they were calves that were born dead and they're not all tagged is it not very easy to trace back who actually owns those animals that's not something but I don't live in a very rural area so I don't know is that a problem of dead animals being disposed of according to Mary two again don't know what area she's in but two in her area of late 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls if you want to text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 C103Jobs person wanted to help with the tidying of a farmyard in general maintenance. It's in the Castle Magna Canturk area. Part-time general operative required for a busy bathroom, tile, plumbing and general hardware store. That's in Canturk. And a retail sales assistant required for the Mill Street area. Previous pharmacy experience will be an advantage. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. Now, according to groundbreaking EU proposals, all new cars are said to be fitted with intelligent speed assistance black boxes, which will force cars to stay within the set speed limit for the road that the car is driving on. Could this be the end of speeding? Joining me from the AA, Barry Aldworth. Good morning to you, Barry. 
Good morning. Uh, and, and you're welcome. Can you explain how this technology will work? I mean, I take it it has to be linked in some way to GPS data to determine the speed of the road. Yeah, so that's exactly the case. It's, it's linked to GPS data and a database of speed limits across the country so that essentially the car will be able to determine where you are in time, what road you're driving on and what the limit for that road is. Now then, thereafter, it gets a little bit more confusing as to how this technology will actually work because, for example, initially the EU was looking at something which would prevent the car in any instance from going over the limit on a road. What it looks like it's going to be, at least initially, is something more akin to the seatbelt warning light that most cars now have. So if you start to speed, the car will alert you in some means to the fact that you are driving over the limit. It will potentially bring the car back down to within the limit, but that there is the ability for the driver to override the system. So, for example, they are in a situation where, for a justifiable reason, they need to speed. For example, they're overtaking a truck and there's now a car coming towards them on the other side of the road, so they may have to break the limit in order to complete their manoeuvre safely. But the idea behind this really is it should eliminate the ability of people to cruise along in excess of the speed limit. And we know speed kills. I mean, this technology ultimately will save lives. Absolutely. So speed is one of, if not the main contributor to the accidents that we see on Irish roads. It's the main contributor to a lot of them. And for example, we know last year 148 people were killed on Irish roads. Slight increase on the year before. But if you look at this within the wider EU context, the European Commission estimates that these measures the speed limiting proposals and some of the other technologies they're discussing could save 25,000 lives across the EU and prevent 140,000 serious injuries. So this potential change could definitely reduce the number of fatalities that we see on Irish roads. And I think the best way to describe it is in terms of road safety, this would be the modern-day equivalent to when seatbelts were first put well, in cars. Well, and I can see like all the road safety associations obviously very much uh, welcoming uh, this piece of uh, technology. You know, it's only a proposal at, at the moment, but do we do we have a timeline? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I'm assuming it's, it's only new cars. It, uh, older cars won't be retrofitted with it. Yeah, so we have a rough timeline. So, for example, the initial proposal by the EU is that this will be mandated for all new cars built after May 2022, unless the car has already been designed. Now, in the case where the car is already designed by the manufacturer, they have an extended period to 2024. But, for example, it still has to go through the European Commission, the European Parliament has to vote on it, which most likely will happen in September. There's the potential that that vote could lead to further votes. And even then, each individual member state would have to have their say. So the earliest we would expect to see any change along these lines is 2022. And even within that, it would only be for newly manufactured cars. There won't be a system of retrofitting this technology to existing vehicles. Which was like, it's interesting that you liken it to the safety belts. It was the same with the safety belts, wasn't it? They came in on new cars and then all new cars after that. And now we all, every car has a safety belt. Yeah, absolutely. So the same thing would essentially happen here where, for example, the year 2022 comes and 
you might only see a small percentage of cars on Irish roads which have this technology fitted into them. But then by 2025, 2030, as people start to just naturally replace their cars when they come to the end of their cycle, you eventually get to a position where 100% of cars both in Ireland and across the EU have this technology. Big question, will it make new cars more expensive? So the the European Commission actually did a bit of work on this and they're of the view that it won't and I can't see any reason why it should because in many cases manufacturers are already including this technology or similar kinds of technology in the cars that they are designing or currently building and potentially there's even savings to be had. I think the EU estimates the cost of preventing the deaths across the EU and the serious injuries that we see as a result of accidents could actually save, in terms of societal benefits, £73 billion by the year 2038. Now, how much of that is actually passed back to each individual obviously is going to vary greatly, but on a statewide basis, these, um, th- these proposals could have a you know, serious economic effect, benefit as well as a serious human benefit. And I, I was reading yesterday other EU proposals include in-car breathalysers and a so-called alcohol locks installed for persistent drink drivers. I mean, they, they sound like very welcome moves. Yeah, so on the one hand, they, they sound like a great idea. I think when you look into it a bit more, there's a few questions around that technology that still need to be asked, and I think which will need to be clarified by the Commission and the Parliament. It's something which I think, unfortunately... The people who would never, ever drink and drive will be the ones that diligently use us. The people who would take the risk of drinking and driving will ultimately find a way around the, the well, the technology as it exists right now. For example, they'll, they'll ask another person to blow into it for them or they'll ask a child in the backseat who doesn't know better to blow into the breathalyzer for them. Where it could potentially have a use is in preventing the incidents where someone gets into the car the morning after or the night before thinks that they are below the limit, they're convinced that they are, but they're actually not. And it will, at the very least, alert them to that. But again, I think those people who drink drive today and who would be willing to take that risk will ultimately find a way around the breathalyzer system that's being proposed. So certainly a good idea on paper, but one I think that has a bit more work to be done with us. Okay. And just before we let you go, uh, Barry, cost of petrol and diesel is on the rise and doesn't seem to be slowing down. Are you are you seeing any sort of sign of a slowdown in the coming weeks and months? Unfortunately not. So what we saw with both petrol and diesel was early in the year and late last year, prices did dip slightly compared to some of the highs we saw in 2018. But there's a couple of international factors really which have reversed that trend and don't give any indication that that trend is going to stop anytime soon. So we know that the sanctions placed on Venezuela, which is one of the leading oil producers, as well as the political unrest in the country, and a similar situation in Iran, has had an effect on crude oil prices. And we don't see that trend changing within the next month, at least. Beyond that, it's very difficult to predict where fuel prices are heading. But I think people will need to be a bit cautious when it comes to their fuel buying habits in the near future at least and get into the habit of being you know, loyal to your own pocket as opposed to being loyal to the station that you visit every time. 
Okay, all right. Um, we're always getting that message out to people. Shop around. All right, listen, Barry, thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Barry Aldworth, who is the Senior Media Officer uh, with the uh, AA. 1850-333-103. John Paul, taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 86 103 And don't forget, it is Thursday. So if you have a pet question for Jane, get it in. Because Jane will be joining us. Our resident vet will be joining us in the next hour. So if you have a pet uh, question, you can get those in throughout the morning. Now, just looking at the clock there, a couple of minutes to spare. Can I just give you a letter that we received in from a listener who doesn't want her name called out which is fine but I do have her name and her number uh, here so if we can get some help for this listener it's an unusual request this lady is going to a family wedding and she's been searching high and low for the outfit you know the outfit that you want to wear to the wedding and she's her heart set on a long black skirt she said short clothes doesn't suit her and she's not a trouser or dress type person. So she wanted a nice long black skirt. Lo and behold, didn't she find one? Absolutely perfect skirt. And when she tried it on, the problem with the skirt is it doesn't have any lining in it. Now she's handy with the old needle and thread so she would be able to line the skirt herself. But she's now having difficulty finding the material for the lining. So she's come up with the brainwave and that's why she's contacted us. She's wondering if we could put out the call for her. Would people have a look through their wardrobe? Would anybody have a skirt that is 36 inches long that has a polyester lining that she'd be willing, that you are no longer wearing and that she'd be willing to pass on to this lady? It would now can either be fully polyester lining or 80% polyester and 20% something else, but not viscose. Okay, so it's a polyester type lining. So she's wondering if people take a look in their wardrobe and to see, have you an old skirt, whatever, it doesn't matter what colour, her skirt happens to be black, that you would willing to, we willing to pass on. The lining needs to be at least 34 inches long as the skirt is 36 inches long. Obviously, the more lining she has, the better it will be for her. We have the lady's phone number and all of the details. We'll keep it all on file. So see if you can help us out there in any way. Now, my when, when I got the letter this morning, I did also think that, and th- this may be a suggestion for our listener, have you tried going to any of the charity shops? Because you can get a really good bargain in a charity shop and you might actually find a skirt in a charity shop with the exact lining that you're looking for don't know if that's if you've tried that before but it might be worth a long shot in the meantime if anybody has a a lined skirt that you're no longer using because obviously it's going to have to get cut up so this lady can take the lining from it she's good with the old the old uh, needle and thread but isn't it annoying when you find something that's ideal and then suddenly when you go to wear oh no it's not lined also thinking would a slip work could you put can you still buy slips Remember the wasted slips? Would that work? That's a kind of a lining, isn't it? I certainly have full length ones. I don't know if you can get the little wasted ones. I'm assuming they're still available. Anyway, your suggestions and your help for our listener, please, who is, oh, we will say from the North Cork area. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 86 103 103. 
The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So, if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And when we've been talking about illegal dumping and fly tipping and the council doing their very best to try to stop all of this dumping and the bin police coming in in the city, uh, isn't it great to see civic-minded people going out and cleaning up their own areas? And we have some of the most amazing and wonderful Tidy Towns groups dotted right across the city and county who do tremendous work and they're out in all kinds of weather. They're out all year round. They really are terrific. And thank you to Breed who sent me in an an email with a photograph attached from the Ballyvorney Tidy Towns group to say, photograph, it's a picture of, it says, this is part of the 47 bags of rubbish that we collected last Saturday on one of our our own spring clean days. Plenty more to come next Saturday. Actually, I mentioned this on behalf of the Ballyvorney Tidy Towns last week that they were having, I think it's three spring cleaning Saturdays. It was last Saturday, this Saturday and next Saturday. You know, we were putting the message out many hands make light work so the more people that turn up to help the better so hopefully they'll get another big crowd next week but that's a staggering amount of rubbish and and there's a picture with you know big huge bags of rubbish full to the brim you know your big refuge sacks your black sacks it's shocking absolutely shocking but well done pat on the back to everybody who turned out and helped in any way for the spring the first of the spring clean days for Ballyvorney Tidy Towns now, we want to go to Bantry Garda Station, where I'm joined by Garda Bridget Hartnett for this week's Garda File. Uh, good morning to you, Bridget. Good morning. And, and you're welcome. Thank now, you so we want to once again start with bogus callers. We are forever mentioning bogus calls here in the programme. And sometimes myself and John Paul say to ourselves, God, do we, we need to mention this again. Uh, and yet every time we do, we'll find out or hear from somebody who had never been aware of that particular bogus call before. So we don't we never mind constantly mentioning it and going over it again and again in the hope that we can get the message through. Because people, unfortunately, Bridget, are still getting caught. They are, Patricia, and it's terrible. I'm very similar to yourself. I kind of think I'm, I'm preaching the same hymn the whole time. But we only had a case myself there in the last week. And this man actually knows I'm mentioning it this morning. He's an elderly gentleman, lovely gentleman in his early 80s and living in an isolated location in Bantry. And he had a mail call to his door last week and convinced him he needed a new pair of shoes. And the man bought the pair of shoes. Now, this mail didn't let him try the shoes on. He was able to distract him and left the shoes near the door. Um, this elderly gentleman now would be quite feeble on his feet, so it would take his time, you know, to get to the door. But it was only after this male had left and departed with the €160 that he realised that the shoes were two different sizes and for the one foot. So not only did he not have a pair of shoes, but he was also down €160, which is quite a lot of money to this poor man. Or to any of your listeners. That's a lot of money. Like he'd have got a really decent pair of shoes for €160. he really would have. And that's what we mean about shopping local. It's going into your local shops and whatever. It's not from these people cold calling to doors. You know, never just always send them away. 
just tell them that you know you don't buy from anyone that turns up in your door or even ask them for id like this man was clever enough patricia he gave a local name and said he was from castletown bear you know and they often do this that yeah. you know that they, they spoke to your neighbor down the road and they sent you down you know i just think the best thing to do is always send them away and if you're able to catch some details like a reg or a description of the person it really makes a big difference but just let us know anyway that they're in the area and we can send a text alert out straight away and make a lot of people aware you know, because we've it. seen in the past when when you say that you know he he dropped in the name of a local shop or yes. whatever, we've seen in the past where they've gone to great lengths, particularly when they're trying to sell furniture, Absolutely. where they'll have the name of a furniture company, and they're nothing to do with that furniture Absolutely company. Absolutely not. No, that's their in to get in the door. And like these people, you know, when we're listening to this, we're going, how could people get caught? But they're they're actually so convincing. Mm. You know what I mean? They're able to pass the conversation off, and often they have even printed leaflets and cards, and it's a good reminder to tell people like anyone I can go off and print a leaflet as well anyone can do that don't be convinced by that you know don't be afraid to take a phone number and ring it and any genuine person that comes to your door has no problem being sent away and having to come back again so you check out those details and these con artists are clever as well. I mean, they they target, they just have no conscience. They'll t- they will deliberately target older people. Oh, they really did. Because even this poor gentleman, by the time he got to the door, because, you know, he's feeble in his feet, he's a great man, he's in his early 80s. Oh, bless. But he wasn't able to see the reg of the car or anything. Your man, this the, the suspect had parked the car a good distance away. So he was able to get away quite quickly. So, you know, you just have to be thinking like this. Um, even the neighbours didn't get to see him. But you're really right, Patricia, what you said. He, they absolutely target isolated locations and elderly people that they know they're convinced into buying something like this. And what's awful about this case as well is actually this man put his hand in the man in the elderly gentleman's wallet. Oh. So, you know what I mean? So that's an awful frightening thing that someone would do that to you. God, they're just evil, evil, they really, rotten really people. Are. So, if there's any details, no and like a hundred and sixty euro to an elderly man, that's that's over. That's nearly his full pension for the week. Pu- yeah, absolutely, just. that's huge money. And you know, for anyone like that, it's heartbreaking that someone would target them and convince them to part with money so easily, and then to have nothing at the end of it. Okay. Well, again, if we can get out to older people yes, to, um, to to chains on their door, ch- absolutely, just, don't you know, open the door. Yeah. Even even shout out to the window that you don't buy off anyone, and that you're ringing the guards or you're ringing your local neighbour. And I was trying to convince this elder gentleman. He actually has an alarm as well that he should have pressed the alarm. That would have got someone to him straight away. You know, don't be afraid to use it. Yeah, that's We're what they're there, there for. Help them. Yeah. We don't want to hear this happening to anyone else around. Yeah, you you sound like you're very annoyed by it, Bridget. I really am. Yeah. He was, uh, Patricia, he was such a lovely gentleman. And I could see this happening to anyone that we know. And it's just not fair. Yeah, you know, and like we yeah. said, a huge amount of money to the poor man. Yeah, shocking. OK, so keep it. And as I say, we've no details... No, all no. I have, you know, he was um, an overweight kind of gentleman with a Cork accent. But again, I can't, you know, none and of And how long confirmed. ago was it? This was it happened recent last enough? Thursday. Oh, OK, recent yeah. enough. OK, recent enough. Now, I know this is something that we mentioned yesterday and it's on our news bulletins. Um, again, it's another uh, scam, bogus callers, purporting to be from the council. Is this a yes. different one? Yeah, the, it was text alert sent out about it yesterday. They're saying they're from Cork County Council and they're seeking money to do work outside your house. Now, Cork County Council were very quick to get in there and say they will never ask for money um, when they're carrying out any work around anyone's property. But also, they'd make you aware. If Cork County Council are going to be carrying out work in an area, they'd make the residents aware and they'll also have ID on them. 
So anyone that comes to your door, you can again ask for ID and even shout out through the window. Don't be afraid to check. Ring with the Cork County Council. They're brilliant. They'll answer the phone there and they'll ask. You can just confirm that this person is who they say they are. And again, when somebody is a scam artist purporting to be from the council, very easy to buy a high-vis vest and a clipboard and make yourself look all official. Uh, Very much so. And, you know, sometimes we all get caught by that. You see the high-vis, you think straight away that, you know, they're obviously, they're doing some genuine work, you know. And again, like we said in the last call, Patricia, these are very convincing people. Mm. You know, anyone can get caught, but it's just we have to, we're very trusting, you know, Irish people in general. So we have to take that step back and just don't be afraid to check it out. Okay, there is a meeting of community alerts. This is for Bantry. Yeah, the Bantry District Community Alert is coming up and it's on Thursday the 11th of April at 7.30pm in the Maritime Hotel. And it's always a good information evening. It's about local crime in the area and local projects being undertaken. So all the community alert groups get to meet. Our superintendent, Declan O'Sullivan, will be there in the night to answer all the difficult questions. And we have some great speakers. Almost every year the Fire Service um, join us, the Chief Officer there, Jeremy Nahan, will be on uh, there on the night to answer any questions and give us vital fire prevention um, techniques. And Fergal Conlon is our special guest this year. He's from the West Cork Partnership Development. And that's a very useful service for all the local groups. So it's a great night to come along and find out information about Bantry and you know, for your community alert group, how to improve things. Okay, and you want to give a quick mention to a coffee morning? Yes, please, Patricia. Um, we hold a yearly one here in Bantry, Garda Station, every year. Okay. And Sorry, and every it, this year we're going for a Tuesday the 30th of April between 11 and 1, and everyone is welcome. But it's two ex- excellent causes this year. The first one is the Mike Canaan Companion, and that's, you know, the dogs that they, they're special assistant dogs. They're especially. fantastic, yes. yeah. And yeah. actually there'll be some of them there on the morning to meet us, so that'll be really good. And we have two members that have children with autism in the station, so that's why we're promoting that. And the other one then is Bantry Palliative Care, and everyone knows what an absolutely brilliant, group, brilliant service yeah. they are, and that's in honour of a retired member, Billy Byrne, who recently just passed away, Lord Mersinum. So okay. everyone is welcome, and it's lots, plenty of treats and coffee in the morning, and good chat as well. And that's inside in in, in the, the garden station. Yeah, the door will be open, the balloons will be is outside. That, <laughs> is that on you? I, you don't often hear a coffee mornings inside in the garden station. Yeah, we started a few years ago, and the local people absolutely love it. I suppose you know most people have never been in the garden station before, yeah. and it's nice to open the doors and make everyone welcome. Absolutely, for the day. absolutely, well done, well done. And the date again. It is on the 30th of April, Tuesday the 30th of April, between okay. 11 and 1. Okay, well, uh, remind us to remind listeners again uh, closer to the time. In the meantime, Bridget, thank you for that. Thanks, for And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Garda Bridget Hartnett, who is in Bantry Garda Station. And the lady who contacted us from North Cork with the lining on the skirt. A number of people, I was only when I was reading it out, I thought, oh, what about a slip? A number of people are saying the same thing. Tell the lady looking for the lined skirt to simply buy a slip. She won't have to do anything with this. The slip will work work perfectly and Teresa said actually if you go into M&S they stock the waist slips that you were talking about Patricia and somebody else says you can actually get them in Duns as well they have them and then there was uh, a really good suggestion in from 
someone. There are so many different uh, calls uh, coming in here. Um, somebody else had a really good suggestion. Oh, Anna. Sorry, Anna. Couldn't see your text. Was it a text or a WhatsApp? Hi, Anna. Um, um, hi, Patricia. I just heard your request on behalf of the lady looking for the lining for the skirt. Well, Hickey's Fabric Shop in the city would definitely have exactly what she is looking for. Anna suggests bring the skirt in with you and they'll do the rest. They are the most helpful bunch of people in that shop. Good luck to her, says Anna. I've heard that before, actually. I've anybody who's into, and and actually our listener who's in the North Cork area, I don't know, she goes into the city now a lot herself, but she's into sewing. She's, you know, she's good with the old needle and thread. So she's probably very well aware of anyone who is handy with a needle and thread will be aware of Hickey's Fabric Shop in the city because they really are fantastic. So thank you to the number of people who have been offering suggestions for her. 1850 John Paul is taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103103. We are particularly looking for pet questions, please, because uh, Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. On a lot of your calls and comments coming into the programme, I want to go to the phone lines because our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran is, is just out from the coroner's uh, court in the uh, city and Fiona joins me. Good afternoon to you, Fiona. Good afternoon, Patricia. And the coroner has actually asked the media to highlight this particular case. That's right, Patricia. It was a very depressing case here at the uh, Cork City Coroner's Court today. It was the case of a little girl called Leah Troy. She was a 13-month-old little girl. And her family had just moved into a house, their new home in Delaney Park, just off Dublin Hill. And um, on this particular morning, on the 11th of September 2018, last year, her mum, Alison Sullivan, had put Leah up into her cot for a nap and she had gone up to check on her a couple of minutes later and she said she found her in... She knew straight away when she was in there was something wrong because she was kind of in a an upright position in the cot, um, kind of nearly in between kneeling and standing and her head was tilted to one side and she was staring out the window and um, when Alice went over, she discovered that there was a cord of a blind wrapped around her neck and um, she managed to free her and call 999 and the paramedics came and carried out emergency CPR on the little girl at the home and then she was rushed by ambulance to Cork University Hospital where she was pronounced dead a short time later. Now we heard that um, these lines, there were Roman lines and Alice's stepmother Jude Hogan O'Sullivan had gifted them to the family. She had made them herself and she said that she often made these blinds for family members only and she had made blinds for all of the windows in the house and they had installed them themselves and they were very much aware of the dangers of cords, the draw, the drawstring cords, which would be the cord at the side of the blind which would be used to pull it up and, and pull it down again um, and I suppose these dangers have been highlighted in the past from other cases like this and they have raised those blinds up quite high, out of the reach of the two children, uh, Leah and her four-year-old brother, Alex. Um, but in this particular um, instance, it wasn't that drawstring cord. It was actually the vertical support cord, which would be at the back of the Roman blind. Oh, goodness. She got caught in that. Yeah. Um, so the blind had been closed because she'd been put up into the bedroom for a nap and somehow she managed to get tangled 
in that court. And, um, you know, it was very emotional. Uh, the stepmother, Jude, in a statement to Gardy, had said that she feels the guilt because if she hadn't mm. made that blind, then Leah would be still alive today. And she said that, you know, she has apologised to Leah's parents, Michael and Alice, and she wanted to apologise again. And, um, you know, Alice said that she, she knows that her mother-in-law or her stepmother um, feels this guilt, but she said there are so many ifs and buts around this case. And uh, the jury, or first assistant state pathologist, Dr. Margaret Boster, gave um, evidence of her autopsy that she carried out on little Leah. She said that she died cardiorespiratory failure due to ligature strangulation. And she said that in this case, the little girl would have gone into, would have blacked out straight away and gone into a coma and she wouldn't have suffered in any way. And the jury returned a verdict of accidental death. And they also recommended that the media highlight the dangers of blinds and highlight this case so that other parents would be made aware of the dangers of blinds. And the coroner, Philip Cummins, echoed that. And he also asked the media present here today to highlight the National Standards Authority of Ireland website, nsai.ie. And on that website, there's all the information that you need to know about blinds and all the different cases. Uh, we were just looking at it there. There's been five deaths of children in Ireland since 2005. So if anybody has any questions or queries or wants information about blinds, they can go onto that website. And he also said that this is one of the most distressing inquests that he's had to cover in a very long time. And he said, uh, you know, he had very little to offer the family in the way of solace other than the fact that the little girl would have blacked out immediately yeah they can take some they can take some whatever comfort you can get from a day like today but Mm. perhaps some comfort can be taken from that that the little girl didn't suffer that's right yeah Um, and the family were very very upset here today we did talk to them afterwards and they didn't want to make a statement which was understandable they said that you know everything that was said in court was said and they didn't really have anything else to add to that and it is just the fact that the coroner had asked the media there to highlight the case and to just let other parents be very aware of the dangers and okay. yet again you know, anyone with a, any yeah anyone with a small child in the house check if whatever you those blinds in any of the rooms not not necessarily just the ones that the get the children sleep in like that, that you know a tragedy like this can happen in any room that's it yeah it can it really can uh. and um and I think what was so tragic about this case was the fact that when they were installing the blinds they said that they were aware of the dangers of the drawstring cord, which would be the one that would be hanging down on the side and, you know, would loop around. Um, and they said that, you know, they made sure that that was up high out of the reach of the children. And they had only put them in about a week beforehand. So it was just, Awful. you know, just so sad. Yeah. Awful. All right. Listen, thank you for that, Fiona. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Fiona Corcoran, a senior news reporter just out from the Cork City uh, coroner. And uh, God help that uh, poor family and what they are going through at the moment. So nsai.ie if you want to check out any if you have blinds in your house and you have smallies in your house or smallies visiting your house, I think it's important for grandparents as well if they they have little ones staying, coming over. You know, you think you install things like that thinking actually we're all safe because we're all adults but you never know when children might be visiting and accidents like that can just happen so quickly. Uh, shocking. Okay, I can see some pet questions coming in. Keep your pet questions coming in for uh, Jane Pickett. Our resident vet will join us this hour 1850 333103. John Ball is taking the call. 
calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 some of your texts into the programme on fly tipping and dumping of rubbish that we spoke about earlier and the bin police coming into operation thanks to the Cork City Council John says Patricia I think it makes more sense for the government to invest more effectively in the services they provide which I think should and could include rubbish collection rather than offer further tax I would prefer provisions of proper services to a tax cut also if people are paying for bin collections through taxation they might be more incentivized to make use of these services. They might also help those who genuinely cannot afford to pay for their rubbish collection. For anyone who might argue that there will be people who won't contribute to the system through taxation, people, for example, who don't work and never worked and don't want to work, and they would be availing of the free bin collection, my response to that is, what is more important to you? A cleaner, healthier countryside are ensuring we drain every citizen of every bit of money that we can, then the responsibility is on the government or local authority to develop a workable business model to develop a proper service. And that's signed by John. Because there was a time when you paid, your bins were collected through general taxation, when the council collected uh, the bins. But then, you know, the council would say they became too expensive. They weren't getting the same amount of money from central government and therefore they had to cut their claw to their measure and one of the things they did was they privatised the bin collection service and because it was being privatised we are seeing more uh, dumping. So John's point is that everyone that's at work rather than, I mean we know in the coming months the government will be deciding what's going to happen in next October's budget and one of the things they will talk about is a cut in taxation. John as a worker says he doesn't want the tax cut, he'd prefer to see more money go into services one of those services being bin collection. Let everybody get their bins collected for free and it gets paid for out of general taxation so the person who's working people who pay the taxes at the moment they are the ones who pay for everybody's bins people who are not at work older people retired people disabled people whatever be interested in your thoughts on that would you prefer to pay the same tax or maybe slightly higher taxation but the spin-off would be you'd have additional services one of them being your bin collection and I'm waiting for somebody to say what do we pay local property tax for were we not told that that was going to go towards the cost of keeping our countryside clean and it probably still does because the rubbish that has to be collected that gets funded by the council and that ultimately comes out from the local property uh, tax also um Rubbish and plastics and too much plastics. The listener says, why is there so much packaging on groceries these days? It was unheard of years ago. Now, everything you seem to buy seems to come with plastic wrapping paper. And I was only looking the other day in the supermarket, starting to get the Easter eggs that need to be purchased uh, for the kiddies. And the amount of packaging on Easter eggs is just... I give out about it every single year and I'm one of the ones who's particularly good at recycling and the recycling bin last year I had a lot of Easter eggs in the house because we had a lot of people staying and I couldn't get over the amount of 
packaging. You know, when you take it all apart and then the, the lovely chocolate egg is inside in it. And I know, I know people say, oh, for God's sake, Patricia, it's for the children. It has to look nice and all of that. But really, do we really need that amount of packaging? It's the same we give out about it at Christmas as well. So there's somebody saying we never had all of that packaging years ago. Why is it gone so bad? And we know because it's gone so bad, we are drowning in plastics. The, the Blue Planet on the BBC it was live last night. It's on again next week. So a check on that and see the damage that we're doing to the ocean from all of our plastic usage and single use plastic in, in particular. Patricia, not everyone can afford to pay for their rubbish, says a texture. The people that need to be caught, though, uh, the person that needs to be caught is the person that goes around looking to take away the skip bag are calling to your door offering to take your rubbish away they are the people that are dumping and they're getting paid by people people pay them to take away the rubbish believing they're going to dispose of the rubbish responsibly and then of course they don't and be very careful of that because if you hand over in good faith you hand over rubbish to somebody who calls to your door that you believe is disposing of it correctly and if that person doesn't dispose of it correctly and there's something in that rubbish bank that links the rubbish back to you and the council can prove that it's linked back to you, you will end up in trouble. So be very, very careful who you're handing over your rubbish bins uh, to. And Eddie from Mahan thinks it's a great idea that everybody pays for their rubbish and that every household should be made to have curbside uh, collection. And he says, like similar what we do with the local property tax, you know, you can't sell your house until you have your local property tax paid and up to date. Eddie said we should do the very same with bin collections so when somebody goes to sell their house they should be able to show that they had a contract for curbside collection and they should have the necessary paperwork and if they wanted to sell their house they wouldn't be able to sell their house unless they had all of the necessary uh, paperwork. Okay, what else is in to us? Eileen staying on rubbish for a moment in my local town. They have smaller bins have been installed with smaller inlets to put your rubbish in. This was designed to stop people bringing domestic rubbish with them and bringing it into town and putting it into the street bins. Eileen says she can still see people trying to push in domestic rubbish into the bins even though they've changed the, the design of the bin to, to stop people from doing that yet it is still going on it is shameful says Eileen and Joan Infomoy says this is on the daylight saving hours and the end of putting the clocks forward and back it's expected to happen in two years time with a reminder the clocks go forward on Saturday night Joan says why could they not put that decision to the people and ask them what they want to happen with the clocks. Do they want to stay as it is? Do they want to get rid of daylight saving hours? Do they want to go with winter time? Do they want to go with summertime? Why is this not a people's vote? Why is the decision that's been made by the powers that be in the EU? Well, they've made the proposal. Now it's gone to each individual state, each individual country, like Ireland will decide. Uh, we know that the daylight saving hours is to end. It's up to us now to decide whether we go with winter time or with summer time. I'm assuming here in Ireland it will be with uh, with summer time. But why doesn't it go to a people's vote? I mean, I suppose the EU would say there was lots of opportunities for members of the public. They got one of the biggest actually amounts of contributions from members of the public on this particular issue. So you did have a chance to have your say 
not necessarily a vote. I know what you're saying. You would prefer a, a vote a little bit like a referendum. And of course, we know we have another referendum coming up on the same day as the local and the Europeans. It's on uh, divorce and the way we do divorce in this uh, country. There's to be a change to the constitution. Well, only a change if the referendum is passed. 1850. So you'd like something like that, I'm assuming, some some type of a, a plebiscite instead. 1850-333-103. Keep your pet questions coming, please. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And a quick birthday wish to Joe Williamson from Clonakilty. Uh, Joe, I'm told you're celebrating your birthday today. Happy birthday to you. Your daughter, Linda, wishing you all the best on your special day. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Convent Primary School in Mallow. They're holding their open evening this evening from 7pm until 8.30. The school offers classes from 1st through to 6th class. There is a learning resource class and classes for children on the autism spectrum disorder. Enrolments are now being taken for September of this year at the school office by calling 022-42211. Tully Luce Drama Group representing Pull the Other One in the Tully Luce Hall. That's on tonight at 8 o'clock. It's an hilarious comedy play with good belly laughs guaranteed. Staged will present plays in the Clash Community Centre 8 o'clock tonight with musical entertainment by local musicians. Everyone invited to come along. Mallow Athletic Club are continuing their Couch to 5K programme with training for about half an hour every Tuesday and Thursday. So tonight again, half past six. The meet is at the back of the Mallow Railway Station and they'll be in Donnerail Park on Saturday mornings at 10. All are welcome. Juliana O'Donoghue and Connie Kelleher are giving a public lecture entitled The Underwater Cultural History of West Cork. That's at 8 o'clock tonight in the Clonakilty Parish Centre. And you're please asked to support Blood Bike South this weekend by donating to their bucket collection in the Riverview Shopping Centre in Bandon. It'll be on Saturday from 9am to 5pm and they of course provide a voluntary service of getting bloods from one hospital to the other hospital. And a coffee morning will be held in the Allen Institute on this Friday morning between 10 and 1pm. Cakes, crafts and raffles. No charge, just donations accepted. Proceeds to the Hall Renovation Fund. And my next guest is a nutritionist and a student at the Cork Institute of Technology and as part of her PhD project she's looking for elderly people across Cork to take part in short short health screenings. Uh, Maeve O'Connell joins me to outline who would be suitable candidates and what's expected of them. Good afternoon to you Maeve. Hi, uh, uh, you're you're welcome to the program. Can you outline what your PhD project is about? Yeah, so uh, the title of the project is Project AIMS, which stands for Actions Against Infirmity and Malnutrition in Seniors. And the overall goal of the project is to promote um, optimum nutrition and physical functioning in older adults. So what I'm working on at this stage of the project is the baseline data collection, where I'm just doing health screenings on about. 200, well, hopefully 200 um, elderly volunteers in Cork just to get a picture of the current health status of older adults. Um, So the health screenings just include completing a questionnaire and simple physical tests like measuring walking speed, hand strength and body composition analysis, things like that. So all very simple and non-invasive. And then based on the information I gather from that, I'll be designing a physical activity and nutrition intervention um, just 
to reduce the prevalence of frailty um, among older adults in Cork. Wow, wow. And do, is there a particular age group that you're looking for to, to help you out? Yeah, so it's anybody aged over 65 um, and, yeah, like of, of any health status, um, as long as they're able to complete the walking test, anybody's welcome. To okay, but, but no upper age limit, it isn't... No, no, no. like any age, as long as they're over 65, they're okay. um, welcome to be. And, and the, the walking one, so, I mean, you're not looking at the work, because it's the baseline data, you're not looking for any particular level of fitness? No, like, what I'm trying to do is just gather a picture of, you know, fitness levels of um, the older adults. So, like, I'd hope to see a range of fitness levels rather than focus on, you know, trying to get one level, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and uh, where will you do the health screenings? So in terms of locations, I don't have like a set list of screening points at the moment. Okay. Um, what I've been doing is just trying to get the word out and gauge where the interest is. Okay. And then set up screening points around all of Cork, I suppose, in community centres and leisure centres um, that are easy for people to reach. Like for definite at the moment, I have Bishopstown, Mitchellstown, um, Skulls. We're looking at Cove now as well. Good. But we'd hope to be able to set up enough locations so that everybody who was interested would have a chance to be a part without having to travel too far. And we also want a good balance of locations. So we'd make a good effort to facilitate everybody who's interested. And males and females? Yeah, males and females. All, all welcome. <laughs> yeah, I'm just even thinking. That, yeah, ideally, if you had a married couple, um, you know, a retired couple in their late sixties, early seventies, they could both go along and do it. Yeah, and I'm kind of noticing that. What, like, I've done a small few um, in school, and that's kind of been the trend that if Good. one of them comes, they bring the other, and like, that's <laughs> ideal. <laughs> one, one, <laughs> one will persuade the other one to, to take part. And it isn't exactly. very, the, walk, the walking part isn't a very physical exam, you know, in that they're, they're not going to be out of breath at the end of it. No, not at all. Like, it's not very strenuous at all. It's literally, like, the physical assessment part is very short. It's only about 15 or 20 minutes. And okay. it's very simple stuff. Like, it's just kind of seeing the time it takes them to complete a certain test and then telling them where they're at um, in terms of standards for their age. So, like, they'll be able to learn something from it. Great, too, you know? great. And what what are you finding? I know you're only, you're only starting out at the moment now looking for candidates, but what are you finding so far? Are, are, the, are the Cork older people, are they a fit bunch? They, yeah, to be honest, <laughs> most of the ones I've screened uh, so far have been fairly fit and healthy. So that's great. Um, but yeah, as I said, I've only done about 12 so far. Okay, so, yeah, so you're only at the, the start of it. You're only at the start. Yeah. And is this, when you've finished your studies, is this an area of nutrition that you'd like to get involved with, looking at older people? Yeah, definitely. Like this, I'm actually so lucky with my project, which is me down to the ground. Um, I'd love to say something you know, I love public health and intervention and things like that so if that case you put down to ground I'd love to stay doing something like this well done. Uh, well done. All going well. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, this is it's it sounds like a really interesting study, and it is so important, isn't it, for older people? You know, while eating correctly but keeping active. Yeah, exactly. Both of them, I think, have their own roles to play in, you know, maintaining their physical fitness and function. And so the area of nutrition can probably be a bit daunting for some older people, but. Um, yeah, it's important to promote it and get the word out. And mm. 
I think the biggest complaint we would hear here, certainly on the programme from older people, if they're on their own, if they've maybe life, lost their lifelong partner and they're living on their own and the children have all flown the nest, you, you'll hear them say, hard to cook for one person, so it's easy just to go for the convenient option. I know, and to try and get them motivated and things, I suppose, will be a, a, a barrier to overcome. But um, it's like a part of the part of, like the baseline data collection I'm doing now. It involves a questionnaire where I ask them what they think is preventing them from eating healthily. Mm. So then I'll be able to find out, you know, what kind of the main reasons are, and then I suppose establish how we can tackle those. Okay, well, keep up the good work. How can people contact you if they would like to get involved in your programme? So they can just give me a phone call. Um, my number is 086-053-5918. And, yeah, uh, hopefully we'll... You can set up a, set up a, a, a schedule to meet 86 Exactly. Yeah. Okay, and we have that on file as well. Listen, we wish you luck uh, with it. I'd be really interested in the results of your study as well, because uh, yeah, I can already I'll keep, I'll keep in touch. With please you anyway. do, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. uh, I'm already seeing somebody said, uh, could your guest, our guest, by the way, is Maeve O'Connell. She's a PhD student from uh, CIT. Could she recommend diets and fitness regimes for older people? So there is a lot of interest out there for this. Yeah. And like what I do as well is bring a few brochures along with me with kind of, you know, national recommendations. So, you know, people aren't leaving the screening blinded and if they don't know what to do or where to go from there. So, yeah, I'll I'll bring some of that along with me as well. OK, well done. Well done. Listen, good luck with it. And, and we look forward to hearing from you in the future. Perfect, thank you so Thanks much. Thanks to that. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Bye. Maeve O'Connell there. Uh, new, uh, she is a nutritionist, but she's a PhD student at the Cork Institute of Technology. If you are over the age of 65 and would like to help out and would like to take part in her study, then give her a buzz, please. 86 And as I like the idea of the husband and wife, if there's a Perry out there, the two of you might like to go along together. Keep your pet questions coming in for... Jane uh, Pickett our uh, resident vet who's going to join us I can see some questions already coming in if you have a question for Jane you can get it in This is the Court Today replay on C103 and Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joining us in uh, studio this afternoon on a glorious afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi you. there. And uh, <laughs> if you have any kind of an animal, especially a dog on a lead, get out and about for a walk. Oh, it's, yeah. a, it's, a it's, gra- it's a great day for it, isn't it? It's beautiful, isn't yeah, it? It's, it's, it's be really such a shame great. to be cooped up inside. But what I would say, however, is it's one of those things. I was thinking myself when I was coming in today um, about my own dog um, and keeping them in the car and I think we always worry about this in the middle of summer with yeah. cats being or cats and dogs being in cars and we're always very conscious about making sure they're not left for prolonged periods in let's say hot sun or anything like that and we always kind of talk about that during the summer but I think it's really deceptive at the moment we still kind of think it's March it's the middle of winter but there is a lot of sunshine out there yeah. I wouldn't underestimate the power of let's say having the sun shining directly into a car and it being very very hot so I'd be very careful and I wouldn't suggest leaving your animals in, in the car alone under any circumstance but certainly be incredibly mindful even a few minutes I can should, be too I long that's just because yesterday when I left here in the early afternoon um, 
that's what struck me when I got my, now my car was in the sunshine but what struck me when I got in I was like oh, it's the middle of summer it was yes. you know you're suddenly going oh quickly air conditioning roll down the windows it was roasting exactly. in the car and I think that's the thing if we find it really hot and I know when I was getting back into my car um, out of work to drive here today I was like whoa you know put on the yeah. aircon um, and I think so if, just if be mindful of that yeah just be a little bit mindful yeah. it might be a little bit out of season but just have your have your thinking cap on okay uh, questions for Jane please you can text her whatsapp 0862 you can call John Paul as well even though the lines have been very busy today so apologies if you haven't been able to get through 1850 Frank wants to know is it bad to give a dog a cooked bone a, from, from a lump of bacon or from a chicken or is a raw bone better? Short story is I wouldn't be very pro giving bones to animals in general because okay. that's the safest option. Okay. Now uh, hypothetically a raw bone is going to be a little bit more sturdy um, and stand up the jaws of a chomping dog than a cooked bone is which is possibly better so if you had to pick one I'd probably go raw cooked bones can be a real worry because when the cooking process they they change the kind of the makeup and what keeps that bone strong inside an alive body and it becomes very easy to fragment and break now I would say cooked bones a definite no Okay. Um, particularly the worst offenders are chicken bones. Chicken bones, cooked or uncooked, is an absolute no-no with any animal. They're small, they're sharp, they fragment easily um, and they really can be a major concern for foreign bodies. So having little shards of bone stuck in the belly or the intestines. Now, sometimes that can cause a blockage and lead to a very severe, let's say, syndrome where they're vomiting a lot because the food can't pass past. What I really, really worry about, in particular with bones, whether they're raw or cooked, and is why I'm quite anti-feeding them in general, is the fact that they can fragment and end up with sharp bits. It's almost like sticking a sharp bit of glass through an intestine. It's very similar. Um, they can be incredibly sharp and they can cause so much trauma to the insides. They can lead to, let's say, the food that normally lives in the stomach and the intestines making its way outside of there. If there was a cut inside in the abdominal organs, it can sometimes lead to food distributing itself around the belly and that's really, really bad news. So I would say stick to either really sturdy toys or kind of proprietary dog, dog treats. I certainly wouldn't go Keep away from bones. the bones. And, yeah. and I know certainly with chicken and it, on this slot a number of years ago, I remember a very distressed lady contacting us. Her much loved cat over Christmas, somebody had let the turkey out mm. and the cat got the hands on the turkey and choked. Exactly. And was found dead in the kitchen on, on you know, Christmas morning. Yeah. And it was just very distressing yeah. for the whole family. So you know, just be aware. Be it's aware. really heartbreaking because people are really just trying to give their pets a really nice, comfortable, you know, like a nice, a nice distraction, a nice little treat. So it's, it's really heartbreaking because it's generally the loveliest owners that just might not know about that. Yeah. And they'll end up losing their pets. And it's so heartbreaking. OK. Hi, Jane. This is a text in from a postman. I know ah. we were speaking about a postman actually last week, weren't we? I'm a postman. I have an ultrasonic dog zapper. Oh. The ones they use zap to. Okay. Uh, one problem is it doesn't work on every dog. The dog that it does work on, it really works. They will run off straight away. But other dogs, no effect at all. Mm. You can be left down with a bang as a result when you think this is going to work and it doesn't work. Age and size doesn't seem to matter. It's completely random. Would you have a theory on that? You know, this is a really difficult one. It's not something I'm hugely familiar with. Now, what I think 
this caller might be talking about is kind of an ultrasonic sound device. So kind of a sound deterrent, as far as I'm aware now. Yeah, caller can correct yeah. us if I'm no, wrong. No, I'm assuming that's exactly what it is. I think that's what yeah. it is. Now, uh, that's really interesting because I remember hearing about this before in connection with, um, let's say, youths loitering around shop entrances and things. There was a particular space I know of certain shops using similar kind of devices so that they'd pipe out this kind of frequency that could be heard by certain people. And by by teenagers only. Kind yeah. of. So I think on that premise, I know that it was because uh, teenagers and things can hear kind of slightly higher pitch noises as far as I'm aware. Um, and I, I suppose you could transfer that to a population of dogs. So it's very difficult to understand exactly what and how much our dogs hear. But I think we could safely assume that they certainly would have different degrees of sensitivity of hearing, but also sensitivity of hearing across different frequencies in the same way that humans and teenagers and older adults have some variation in what frequencies they can hear. But ah, it's yeah. not really being researched. It's a very difficult thing to do because how do you ask a dog, can you hear that? Yeah, not, not it's if you're very, hearing very that. very, very difficult. Yeah. But I would, I would assume that it might work on some and not on others. Partially probably because some are more persistent and they might just really want to, you know, come and say hello. But some of it might just be that it might be at the wrong frequency to to be a sound that they maybe don't like. Yeah, and I've just done a quick yeah. Google search to see um, ultrasonic dog zappers, as our postman has called them. Ultrasonic dog repellers mm-hmm. uh, seems to be the one. Mm-hmm. It also seems to vary in price. You can get it for as little as four euro. 32 right up to 54.99 so you wonder the more expensive one is there more frequencies on it maybe I don't know I don't know and then could it be could it be the age of the dog that as the dog is getting older well that's the thing we might not be hearing those higher frequencies now with these devices I'm not familiar with them myself really but I don't know whether they're based on a low frequency or a high frequency as a deterrent but it would be interesting to know and see if there's any kind of relationship to our kind of similar ageing of the frequencies we can hear um, but we're back again to the poor old postman that we mentioned last week and of course the dog thinks it's doing the best thing because mm. it's, it's clearing it off. Exactly, he thinks there's, he's protecting his little family. Yeah, there's not really any other, it's, it's, there's not a lot of advice, is there's there? There's really not, you know, and, and these people are just going about their daily job with our, our lovely postmen around the country um, and they can, like like this fella, you know, they can come foul of, of these lovely dogs who think they're just protecting their family as yeah. it were. There's no malice in the vast majority of them, they just think they're doing their job. Um, but no, I would say if you have any concerns about your own dog you know snapping at the post when it's coming in and perhaps taking some fingers with it on the way then I would get one of those guarded little netting boxes for the inside of your door just to make sure that I yeah and safe. keep, keep your, everyone safe and keep the keep your dog in if you know mm-hmm. the, the postman exactly. uh, is uh, around um hi uh, my Jack Russell is inside at night fully house trained but in recent weeks he started doing his wee on the floor how can I stop him doing this? He's five. And why? Why would he suddenly go from being fully house trained to suddenly be not fully mm. house trained? This is a curious one. There could be a few things going on here. I, I assume from what our caller is saying that otherwise her little dog is 100% happy and bouncy and healthy and nothing else has changed. So we'll, we'll go from that, that okay, assumption that as premise. it were. Now, it could be something behavioural. Now, normally in well-housed trained dogs, they don't kind of reverse, you know what I mean? Once they're trained, they're trained. But what can happen sometimes is if they were very good at going out, if they've got a scare or a fright when they've been out doing their pees and poos, they're very good at remembering these things. And it might be that if something has changed in the environment, if there's a new dog or cat in the area or loud noises or building or anything like that going on, 
it could be that he's just maybe a little bit scared when he goes outside and some dogs might not want to go outside at all if there's something changed or some might be a little bit it's you know like a nervous peer if there's something that's distracting them or annoying them they might not want to do their business outside so they might hang on to it then come in in the evening and then you'll find the accident in the morning or you know whatever whatever time they've been alone to do their business inside other things it could be is it could be something to do with let's say a bladder infection Okay. So it's like ourselves, if we get cystitis, you want to pee all of the time. So it could be something like that. There might be a little bit of an infection and irritation. In younger dog, it's less likely, but we know that as dogs age, sometimes their kidney function can decrease a little bit and that leads them to having, let's say, more dilute pee and hence a lot more pee than usual. So I would say if you know that there's something strange in the environment that might upset your dog then maybe see if you can settle that down um and maybe take your dog out as often as you can as well give him plenty of opportunity to do his business try and make it easy for him to do things right because it seems to be only happening at night at night exactly which kind of says to me well is there something happening in him as well is there some reason he can't physically hold it that could be a question i think if you're concerned i would definitely pop to your vet just get him get him check the once over yeah maybe even um bring a little urine sample with you and your vet will be able to check that out and see if there's anything abnormal on it. Is that an easy thing to do in Jack Russell? You know, my top tips would be um, get a clean container. Normally, if you visit your vet in advance, they'll be able to give you a nice clean container. Um, If not, just try and find something that, let's say... uh, I don't know a little lunchbox or something like yeah, that and scald it with and boiling water exactly, first exactly or put it through the dishwasher or yeah, something like perfect. that but the easiest way to do it is get kind of an old flat clean lunchbox or a takeaway carrier or something like that yeah. don't try and get it into a small little pot you need to have a big target area take your little dog out to pee the easiest thing is to keep him on lead so that you're kind of vaguely near him when he's about to do his business um, close and then, eye close eye Wait for he's done a little bit of his business, so maybe a second or two, just to let him start. And once he's kind of mid flow, he'll probably not right. stop. And then introduce your little lunchbox. It's the same as when, when when the doctor asks you for a urine sample. Mid flow, mid flow, mid flow, mid flow. <laughs> same with the dogs. Okay, Bridget has a Shih Tzu dog, ten years old, female neutered, has a skin problem that's gone down her paws. Um, now, Bridget appears to have linked it to some foods seems to mm. make the breakouts worse desperate at the moment she said she's tried various foods she's been to the vet and got creams etc that sounds like an allergy isn't it it does now I'm particularly worried for this little dog I think our caller has done a great job taking her to the vet and has seems like a, a bit of a Sherlock Holmes in being able to keep track of the food and have a little look at what seems to be flaring it up a little bit more so great job on that front um, I think with this little dog it does sound like there may well be a food allergy or a food intolerance. Okay. What I would say is that can sometimes only be part of the picture. Okay. Um, I would definitely go back to your vet, let them know that the creams and everything hasn't worked, anything you've got from them, and they'll be able to do a logical workup. Ruling out things like parasites, first of all, is one of the main key things. Even if we can't see the parasites on the skin, it's always prudent to just rule those out first and foremost. But then they may suggest you doing a, a diet test, essentially. Now, with dogs that have dietary intolerances, they generally tend to be kind of young to middle-aged. It's a little bit strange that this has kind of kicked up all of a sudden in a 10-year-old dog, but our caller hasn't said whether it's been a long-term issue or not, so maybe that's not the case. 
Mm. If it was food, you generally need to do what's called an exclusion diet. So having a special diet only, no treats or nothing else like that. A special diet for six to eight weeks solid before you can see if it's had an effect. Now, these diets are generally prescription diets. So you'll have to go to your vet to get them. And they'll either be, let's say, made up of foods that they wouldn't have been previously exposed to. So they're not likely to be allergic to it. Or sometimes the very special diets, the ones we use ourselves, are ones where the proteins have been changed in such a way that they're made so small that the immune system can't be allergic to them. Okay. So it's really, you have to robustly test them to see if there is a dietary involvement. And in some cases, they can settle in really, really well with diet involvement. But what I would say is this little dog does sound like he's in a little bit of distress with things. So I'd visit your vet ASAP and try and get him a little bit of relief for it. Because if it is allergies, which it looks like it mm-hmm. is, I mean, putting creams will just alleviate the symptoms in that it will yes. ease, it, ease it. Exactly. I mean, which as you say, he does need now because mm-hmm. he just, mm-hmm. it seems in pain. But it's not going to stop it. It's not going to stop it but as I say the diet is part of things it's kind of a multimodal approach a lot of the time we use diet to control them when they've been let's say when we've tested and we know they're allergic to something but a lot of the time we may have dogs that have a skin allergy um, and it's triggered by food but it might be something to do with the skin barrier itself it might just be a little bit faulty in some dogs this was one thing we're we suspect and there's lots of research going on about this at the moment and it's a very interesting area but we do know that sometimes they can be a lot more prone to getting infections and they can just be generally itchy or if they're allergic to food they might be allergic to other things in the environment too so it definitely requires a multimodal approach Okay and very briefly Rita said what's the best spot on treatment that Jane would advise for a cat? For a cat there's lots of ones on the market Um, what I would say is the brand doesn't matter a huge amount but what does matter is that we know that the ingredients are safe and they'll work and the best way to do that is to visit your vet okay um, because the products we'll generally stock we'll stand by how effective they are but we also know that they're safe so um there's lots of different ways that drugs are classified and generally vets will usually carry drugs that are prescription only medicines which means they've been through really really rigorous testing so we know they work and they're safe so that would be a first step secondly speak to your vet about the risk for your pet so sometimes if they're an indoor cat they're less at risk than let's say an outdoor cat that's you know poddling around the whole time so their risk of having parasites is less so they might suggest something more appropriate to that okay um and sometimes let's say for for a cat in particular if they're difficult to hold still for a spot on or something like that um, you might want to do it less frequently but it's important to use a product there is one product on the market that you can do every three months for that okay. um, so just making sure you're using the product correctly and it's it'll do whatever you need as judged by your vet okay. so you're not going to give us a name go to your vet for go to your vet there's, there's plenty there's on the market too, there's but too go many to different vet. ones yeah. uh, okay and somebody says the device used as a teenage deterrent to prevent it from loitering outside shops can actually have a very negative effect on especially these children, especially autistic mm-hmm. sufferers. I think that's why they were stopped, actually. OK, that's where I leave you for this week. Thank you for that, uh, Jane, from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.